Well, it's good to see so many of you this morning. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm really happy that we are able to do at least a few services in person before Mary and I leave. And I have been thinking about this Sunday, this sermon, since this is my last sermon at New City for a long time, for the last eight weeks. And as I've been doing that, I've been thinking a lot about uh, history and what it's meant to me and a lot of the memories that I have being a pastor here at New City. I've been sifting through all of these, and I'm really grateful for my wife last week when she preached. She did a really good job of naming a lot of these memories, and I uh, especially love seeing all the pictures that she shared, especially from our very early days when uh, I looked a lot younger. actually quite a few years ago and um, so many memories and so many of you uh, that are a part of those memories that I feel so much love for and while she did a really good job articulating how central this community has been in our life and to our growth over the last 12 years or so I'm gonna do the opposite I'm gonna suggest today that we are not central to the life of this community. I want to suggest why I think that this church can continue to exist and thrive without the March family. I'm sure some of you are saying, "Eh, I don't know. You feel a lot of love for our family and we feel a lot of love for you. I'm not negating that or saying that's not a a part of the equation for us. And, And some of you, maybe not all of you, but some of you will miss us. We will miss all of you. I'm not denying that those feelings are there and that there's a loss of relationship which calls forth grief. But what I want to name is how unimportant I am and we are to the really important work that takes place in this church. Because this church isn't primarily about me or Mary or my family. It's about Jesus. And whatever you love about me or my preaching or this community or the activities that we do, that's an encounter with Jesus. I wasn't always aware of this dynamic at least not the way that I know it now. In fact, when we first started this church, one of the things I felt particularly acutely was that the pressure was on my shoulders to make the church successful. Now, I very much felt like, I mean, yeah, yeah, I would have said it was about Jesus, but I very much felt that it was about me. When I preached, I felt this strong need to keep people's attention and impress people. When I met with someone one-on-one, I always felt like it was this anxiety. I got to come up with the right question. I got I to figure out the right thing to say. Or maybe with the early leadership teams or the early, early pastoral advisory team, I felt this pressure to make sure that the meetings go well, that, that people feel engaged as leaders of the church, to keep people excited and, and bought into the vision. I very much felt like I needed to make this church great. and felt like it was very much about me and my performance and what I did. And as I thought about this in preparation for this week, about how much I felt this, 
I think that's probably normal. If you're in a position of leadership, you probably wrestle with this tension yourself. Like if, if you have to give a presentation at work, you undoubtedly feel anxious about it because you feel like it's on your shoulders to do a good presentation so that there's a good outcome. That feels normal. Or, or maybe if you're somebody who has employees working for you and one of those employees quits, you maybe take it a little bit personally, like you haven't done a good enough job. Or, or if you're a parent, you're in a leadership position over your children. If your child fails, maybe you feel like you have failed as a parent. I know that to a certain degree, this is just a normal part of leadership. When we're up front leading or performing on something, we have a, ten a tendency to be overly self-conscious and, and think that it's very much about how we do, that the larger, that as kind of dictates how the larger whole is going to go. But what I've become increasingly aware of over the past few years is how this way of thinking and this, this way of behaving is especially out of place for a pastor. The church isn't supposed to be about the pastor. It's not about my performance or my preaching or my leadership. At the, the center of the church is Jesus. And the passage that I want us to reflect on today, that is what this is all about. In particular, it's Jesus naming the tendency of pastors and their communities become too attached to one another. And it's about the way this can distract us from the presence of Christ here, in our midst. Passage comes from Matthew chapter 23, and, and this is really an interesting passage because this is where Jesus is really going at the religious leaders of his day. He's laying the blame for this dynamic that almost always or very regularly happens in religious communities, laying it at the blame at the feet of the pastors, not the communities. Talking to Pharisees and religious leaders, which are really just pastors of that day, and like me, they had this tendency to make their religious leadership about themselves. And they felt this pressure to be great. And Jesus calls them actors for this, like they're pretending on the outside. When on the inside, they're secretly full of evil. Earlier in the chapter, he calls them whitewashed tombs shiny, pristine, and clean on the outside, but full of death and decay on the inside. And when Jesus is doing this, he is diagnosing why churches so often get into trouble, why there's so often problems in churches. When religious communities become overly focused on one pastor or on their pastor, it's because that pastor has become so committed and so caught up with needing to be great in front of people. Jesus is naming this strong pull that pastors have to do this, to look good before others. And the way that this drive to impress others with their teaching or their leading or their preaching or their shepherding ends up making the community centered on them and not the presence of Jesus here in our midst. 
And so it makes this whole chapter kind of hard because Jesus is laying into pastors. But our passage is hopeful. Right in the midst of him kind of going, oh my gosh, you pastors are always so vain and so self-promotional. He provides a contrast for where our focus should be. And to me, this is the hope for the church after we leave. Now I'm going to read this passage twice. I want you to just listen to this word of hope that Jesus is offering for churches, for religious communities. It's Matthew 23, 8 through 12. Speaking of pastors, but there's hope in here for all of us. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. And you are all brothers and sisters. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. You're all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father. He is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When I read these words, what I hear Jesus saying to me is, you are not the teacher. You're not the rabbi, preacher, you're not the instructor. Faith leaders, you're not a father. There is already someone in that role. It's Jesus, whom we know through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Pastors, preachers, teachers, we often want to lift ourselves up as individuals of great insight or power or giftedness, but Jesus makes it clear that's not you. You are not the teacher. The role of the pastor, the role that God is inviting me to, and really each of us, is to be a servant of the one teacher. Called to help people learn, for sure, but the learning isn't from me. It's from the Spirit within you. So I serve the work the Spirit is doing in you. So if you've ever been here and, and listened to a sermon and thought, oh, that was really good preaching, or that was really good teaching, I really like that, maybe that's happened to you at some point over the past handful of years, that's not from me. That's the Spirit within you. 
quickening your own spirit while I happen to be talking. But I am not the teacher. There's only one teacher, and it is the Lord who is in you. When I prepare a sermon, I'm listening to that teacher. And then I'm testifying to what that teacher says. And then when you hear what I testify to, within you, the Spirit does something. Teaches you while I happen to be talking. Same goes for my leadership, our leadership. If you've appreciated it, it's not from me. I am listening to the leader of this church, which is Jesus. If you've appreciated pastoral care from me or from Mary or, or wisdom and spiritual direction, again, that's not me. That's from the Spirit moving in you. I am not the teacher. I'm not the pastor. I'm not the leader. I am not the shepherd. Those titles belong to Jesus. God's presence is here with us. And as I go, as Mary goes, as the March family goes, the Spirit stays. Your true teacher, your true leader, your true pastor, your true shepherd will remain here with you. This is what I've been holding on to with great hope over the past few weeks. It's felt like this gift that God has given to me. It came shortly after we announced we were leaving and many of you sent emails or texts saying that you would miss us. Some of you affirmed my preaching or our leadership or teaching. And as I sat with these kind words, the first thing that started to happen is my head swelled. I really started to think I was pretty fantastic. And then as I sat with that, I started to notice, as I started to think I'm pretty great, I started to notice that this is an evil thought. Because I noticed that it was bearing bad fruit in my soul. So I prayed and I asked in prayer that the Lord would help me see clearly what it means to be in this role of preacher or teacher. I wondered, what, is, what does it mean to teach spiritual things from up front or just in conversation with another person? And it felt like God gave me this passage as a response. As if Jesus stood in front of me and clear as day, said to me as I contemplated being a really good teacher, the Lord said to me, you are not the teacher. And the more I have sat with that, and thought about it, the more I become aware that there's a lot of things for which I can say, I am not. And that's what I want to share with you. I am not the teacher. I am not the shepherd. I am not the pastor. I never have been. It has always been 
the Lord. And while I go and Mary goes, the Spirit will never, ever leave you. And I'm more convinced than ever as I'm aware that I am not. I just testify to the one who is. That it is Jesus who is the great I am for all of us. He says so himself. John 6.35 I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John 8.12 I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. John 10.11 I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 11, 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. John 14, 6 through 7. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15, 1 and 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All the deepest desires of your heart, all the deepest desires of my heart, our desire for wisdom, for comfort, for hope, for guidance, for nourishment, for clarity in the dark moments of our lives, for hope, for love, all of these are found in Jesus, the great I am, which we now experience and encounter through the presence of the Spirit who is here with us now. This to me, is my, my role is to be a servant to this presence. To bear witness to this presence in you here now. And I think the invitation to this passage for all of us is to be a servant of this presence in all aspects of our lives. So if you're leading a small group, you can lead as one who recognizes that there is a presence in the group that you are a servant to. That person is the leader of the small group. When you teach someone in Sunday school with the kids or maybe adults, you can teach as someone who is a servant to the teacher, who is bearing witness to the truth in the spirit of the children or the adults that you are teaching. When you comfort a friend, it's not your responsibility to comfort a friend. The spirit comforts a friend. You can be a servant to that presence as you sit with a person in pain. Spirit is the shepherd comforting those who hurt. You and I, we are all called to be servants of Jesus through the presence of the Spirit who dwells within each of us.
we say, I am not. And we point to the one who says, I am. And as I think about the legacy that I hope to leave behind here in New City, my hope is that you will remember me as a person, at least who grew in this direction, as someone who increasingly paid attention to the I am in our midst. And one of the ways I hope you remember me as doing this is through the practice of silence. We've been silent in sermons before. I start meeting in in silence. I often invite you to be silent if we meet one-on-one. Because in silence, we stop talking and paying attention to ourselves and how other people are experiencing us. Just sit in the presence. It's a way that we can acknowledge, I am not, but he is. And so, in this, my final sermon, I'm gonna, I want to do two things. First, Mary and I have a gift for the community, so I want to present that. And then the second thing I want to do is actually sit in silence together, holding an awareness of the presence of the Spirit here with us. First, the gift. Actually, we have a picture of it. It's a bench. I did put the slide. You, it, I put it in. I maybe didn't put it in the playlist. It's just called Bench Pick or Picks. Jamie will figure it out. Um, this was Mary's idea, she did, and she did all the work for this. But it's a bench, and it's out there on the south side of the building underneath the trees. That was where she would often sit and pray, looking out over the... Um, uh, wetlands that are back there and uh, so we're, we give you this bench and this is a place for you to just sit in silence and pay attention to God's presence and there's a little plaque on there and there's a verse on the plaque and the plaque says be still and know that I am God that's it don't like be a good person and know that God loves you don't like say all the right words in prayer so you can get God to hear you just sit still in silence And know the Lord is right there with you. So my hope is that this bench will be a reminder to be silent, to pay attention to the great I am who is near. And then I do now want to practice a couple minutes of silence together. And I want to give you three quick tips. It's very hard to be silent. It's ironic. Uh, So here are the three tips. The first is prepare your body. Get comfortable so you don't have to fidget when we're sitting in silence. It's helpful to plant your feet firmly on the ground. Sit still. The second is when we sit in silence, the mind is often busy. Thoughts, to-dos, anxieties start rushing. As best as you can, let them go. And the way that I often do this is just recenter myself on a word like love, Father, grace, And the third thing, third tip about sitting in silence is after the silence is over, don't evaluate. Don't judge yourself for not doing it correctly or incorrectly. Just don't evaluate the silence. This is an act of faith. We're going to sit in silence. I'm going to sit down. We're going to sit in silence for just two minutes. And then I'm going to read our passage again. 
one more time after the silence. And at that point in time, after I read the passage, I'll invite the worship team to come up after that, and I'll close us in a word of prayer. Go ahead and close your eyes, and let's go to silence. You are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. Greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Join me in prayer. O Lord, our teacher, our shepherd, bread of life, light in the darkness, water when we are thirsty, comforter of our soul, we turn to you.
Lord, open our hearts and make us sensitive to the Spirit's movement in our life. We might keep our eyes fixed on you and your presence with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.